So there are uh, many humbling moments um, as a pastor, and uh, most of them for me happen as I'm pastoring my own household. Um, Let me explain. Last evening, I'm uh, sitting down with my three-year-old Avery, and uh, I'm explaining to her, stay with me, explaining to her how God spoke to the prophet Isaiah about how Jesus was going to come and die for our sins. So you can imagine this conversation with a three-year-old, right? Like I'm trying to teach her that there were prophets and they spoke to people on behalf of God and we're wrestling with all of this. And, um, and at the end of this long dialogue, about uh, a minute, um, Avery said, but dad, but dad, G- uh, Jesus is God. And, and, and I, touche, you know, yes. And, and so in this moment, and there have been many of these um, as I'm pastoring my house, is you're trying, to, you're like, what do you say at this point, Right? So I'm like thinking briefly, like, okay, deep theological truth here. How can I teach Avery the Trinity? And so I, I say this first. I say, Avery, um, yes, uh, Jesus is God, but God is three people in one. <laughs> Avery, listen, I wish you could have been there. She rolls over laughing. The girl I, seriously, and this is no exaggeration, she bellied laughed for 30 seconds. She's sitting there on the couch. She rolls over. She's just belly laughing. And, we're, and then I start laughing, and we're both laughing. And I'm longing, like, w- when she's done laughing, she's going to give me this brilliant response, right? So she's, like, belly laughing, and then she leans up, and she goes, Dad, that is so silly, you know? And but God is, you know, just this crazy story. I, I love I love those moments, and you never forget them, you know? I was thinking again last night, and I've shared with you before, and I took Avery up to bed and was tucking her in and just thinking to myself, like, I, I won't get this night back. These precious moments that I have with my little girl, I won't get them back. And so when she asked me to share one more princess story, I was like, okay. And then she asked one more princess story, and I said, okay. And then finally she said, Dad, can you tell me a story when, I, when you were young? And so I told her how I used to butt board on a skateboard down the hill and would scrape myself up, and then I kissed her goodnight. It's a great story. Pastor is a word that, um, that instantly brings up a lot of connotations in this room. When I say the word pastor, it's one of those words that all of you have a different perspective on. Some of you... Uh, when I say the word pastor, you have a tremendous amount of baggage. Some pastor, leader, priest, whatever it may be, harmed you. Um, you saw a massive failure which built up a lot of hardness of your heart. Others of you have had phenomenal experiences with pastors and leaders. But it's one of those words that finds itself on the outside of doors to offices and on the ends of desks and on business cards. And it's a word that I fear. Uh, Many of us have no biblical understanding outside of just what we've seen. We see a person called a pastor, and then we think that must be biblical. Instead of taking a step back and saying, is that person a biblical pastor? Or are they just a poser? Tonight, Peter is going to encourage us with a biblical understanding of eldership. And my hope for each of you is that as we dig into the scripture like we do, 
is that each of us walk out of here understanding biblical eldership. Are you with me? I'm not talking about being a cultural pastor, a cultural shepherd. I'm not talking about how the church down the street describes it. I'm talking about how the Bible teaches being a pastor. And I'll share one more thing and then we'll get going. I'm approaching this subject tonight with great vulnerability. I'm going to share a lot of things with you tonight about my own life, my own struggles, my own wrestles. And so I would ask um, for you to take this journey with me and that at the end of tonight, we could have said that we worship God together through the word. Amen? So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's right, chapter 5, the last chapter. That's... I sense excitement, not remorse. I'm like, what's up with that? It's been a great uh, journey through First Peter. We've been in it for uh, 10 months, uh, give or take a couple days. And um, this is our last chapter, a few more weeks of it, and then we'll be closing up shop. Um, I want to read uh, the first three verses of First Peter chapter 5. But if you're just joining us here, Peter is writing to a persecuted church, to a church that has been deeply harmed, and uh, many of the church, as he describes in Asia Minor, uh, they have been killed by the Roman emperor Nero, uh, because uh, Nero blamed a massive fire in Rome on the Christians. And so he's writing in this context, and let's begin here in chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Back to verse 1. So I exhort. Uh, The word exhort here is parakaleo, is the Greek word. And it, it, means, it means beg. In fact, sometimes in the Scripture, when the Scripture is writing about prayer, it, it at times will use this same phrase. I exhort, I beg you, pay attention to this. All those of you who are leaders in the church, understand this. Now, sometimes in the Scripture, doesn't it seem kind of random? It's like, um, okay, persecution, suffering, eldership, here we go, right? And... and it just seems like it's, it's like dropped in there all of a sudden. It's like, okay, with, uh, it was great teaching on suffering, and now all of a sudden, Peter, uh, pass, how to be a pastor, right? It seems random. But let me remind you of where we were last week. In verse 17, Peter said, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. You remember in our understanding of that verse, household of God, in our context, the church. So if judgment is to begin with the church, then what's the implication? Well, we learned last week that judgment, as Peter was talking about it there, was not retribution, but rather refining. So he says refining, that refining judgment will begin with the household of God. What does verse 1 say? So, I exhort the elders among you. So it begins with the household of God, and within the church, it begins where? With elders. With pastors. So the refining process starts with the church and within the church starts with pastors. And this is the sobering reality of being a pastor. In our culture, I don't know if you know this, but church planting is very sexy. At least it was a few years ago. 
It was like everyone and their mom was planting a church. And I think a big lure of this was that you could kind of do your own thing, that you didn't have to sit underneath any other leaders, that you could just do and design whatever kind of church that you wanted. When we were called to plant Matthias, I want to encourage you with this, we weren't running from anything. We were running to a specific call from God. And when you get into church planting, and as a young 25-year-old pastor, which I was, the weight of being a pastor starts to sit, and trust me, the sexiness soon turns. Being a pastor is a huge blessing. But as we're getting into this conversation, I want you to understand this. The burden and weight of knowing that the refining, the judgment begins with you and you're held to a higher standard and everything that I teach, do you understand this? Everything that comes out of my mouth and Matt and Jeff's mouth, and we'll talk about our structure later, we're held to a higher standard for every one of those words. Do you get that? Every time I'm sitting in my home and my lot family is there and I'm communicating the word of God, do you understand, can you begin to understand the weights of knowing that I am held accountable for literally every word that comes out of my mouth? You are too, but it says it begins with the elder, so I exhort you. Listen, being a pastor is sobering. It's humbling. And yes, it is a blast and very fulfilling but trust me and you, there are days where I have my hands in my head saying, oh God, are you sure this is what you would have of me, right? This is his call. I exhort you. It begins with you. You're held to a higher standard. Now let's work with the word elder, shall we? A lot of work to do here, right? The first thing, misnomer, is, is what is an elder? Some of you uh, maybe grew up in contexts where there was, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, a, kind of a senior pastor and a board of what? Trustees or elders that were kind of the business dudes, and they made a lot of the financial decisions. And in fact, I grew up, listen to this, this is, this is kind of cool, we should try this sometime. Not really. I grew up in a church, First Reformed Church of Witchert, Illinois, right? And the elders would literally come out of this back room right before the service, like 10 or 12 of them, right? Dad, how many would there be? I don't know, like 50, you know. Yeah, and they'd be, you know, they'd be all dressed to the nines, and they would, like, come out, right? And they would, like, all march down. And it was like, th- that was the beginning of the service, like, here come the elders. It's like, go time now, right? And, and they would, like, they would sit with their families and stuff, but it, it just, you know, like, here comes the men, here comes the dudes. And my, my grandpa was one of them, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, you know? And I love when he came out last, you know, because he was like, okay, what's up now? And my grandpa was so humble, but I love that. So some of us grew up with that understanding, right? It was like, there's a pastor, and then there's this uh, group of, of men who oftentimes are business guys, and they're called elders. Biblically, the word pastor, overseer, and elder are, are all synonymous. Biblically, when you see the word pastor, it means elder. And when you see the word overseer, it means pastor. And when you see the word pastor, like the one time you do in Ephesians, it means elder. Savvy? It's all the same word. Pastor, overseer, elder is a pastor. Now, I have many things to teach on eldership, and to do it, we're going to look at 1 Timothy. So if you could put up this passage here on the screen from 1 Timothy chapter 3. This passage, along with Titus chapter 1, 
give us some great teachings on eldership. One of the big questions you should have is who can be an elder? Who can be a pastor? What does the process look like? What are the process that they're going through? Does anyone who has a business card that says pastor, are they a pastor? The answer to that is no. And this is what we've allowed in our culture. If you can come up with a cool graphic scheme and call yourself a church planter, right, and it's you and your family, and, and ultimately you, have, you do not carry the biblical qualifications of an elder, you are not a pastor, though you call yourself one. That's even humbling and sobering to say. Knowing that as I call myself pastor, and Matt and Jeff here call themselves pastor, that we're to resemble this. Do you understand the sobering reality of that? So let's dig in here. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a what? A noble task. So um, sometimes I grew up in the context where you would do elder nominations. It was like the presidency, right? So there would be a Sunday, and everyone would write down their, their nominations. You know, I nominate X, Y, Z, and then they, they pull it in, and then the results get shown the, the next week. So-and-so had, you know, 65 votes, and so-and-so had 50 votes, but it was a Florida count, so they had to redo the whole thing. You know, it's just this process, right? Verse 1 says this. It's something noble to seek after. At Matthias, and also in our network, Acts 29, we all have the same teaching on eldership. If a man is feeling called to be an elder, it's a noble task that they seek after. It's not someone going up to someone and saying, you should, maybe you should be an elder. It's someone wrestling with their call from God and then being affirmed by the Scripture and then for Matthias, going through a long process. Matthias began with five men. That's, that became three when we planted Matthias. Jeff Brzezinski, myself, and Jason Zelmer. We are the first three elders or pastors here at Matthias. Two and a half years ago, Matt McNeil uh, came to us, said, I, I desire to go through the eldership process, feel like I, I model this and desire to sit underneath your teaching. And so Matt went through nearly a year-long process. At the end of that year, there was an opportunity for the body to approach Matt if they had any ill will against him. And because of the process, which Matt will attest, was very intense. We read a 400-page book called Biblical Eldership by Alexander Straw. I'm sure all of you will Amazon it later. It's a brilliant read if you have a year, right? It's a really long process. Matt gets through it. Very tough, challenging on all fronts. And then Matt comes in as an elder. He sought it out. We didn't go to Matt and say, you should be an elder. He came to us. You see what I'm saying? Different from how some of you maybe grew up or perceive things. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, now we're going to get into the qualifications, must be above reproach. I struggled with this for a while. What does above reproach mean? What, what's the concept there? What's, does, that, does that like mean perfection? Like surely not, because First John says if anyone says that he's perfect, he's, he's a liar, so surely it's not perfection. Well, what is it? It's, it's high-level integrity. The ability to quickly confess sin with a high, high level of, listen, public and personal integrity. 
Most pastors fall in sin not by what comes out in here, not by what you see right here, by what happens when no one's looking. Whether it be a failed marriage, whether it be a pornography addiction, whatever the case may be, an affair, it's the private sins that are trying to be guarded and hid by a pastor. Above reproach is, is public and private integrity. All right? This next piece is quite interesting. The husband of but one wife. Um, Titus 1 confirms this. I don't think this is a cultural, cultural lingo, and I'll dispel the cultural argument here in a second. This means an elder is a man. I sat under uh, leadership for four years where there was a, pa- a husband-wife pastor combo. Though I didn't understand the biblical uh, tension at that point, I now understand, again, the teaching of the Scripture, ultimately our network, eldership, the pastor role, is a man. Now, step back there, and you're thinking, man, that's, that sure seems chauvinistic. Really? It's, the elder role is the, is the epitome of servant. It's the lead servant. And it's consistent all the way through the Scriptures. There's nothing arrogant about an elder. It's a servant role. This is why Adam was made from dust, Eve from his rib. And then guess what? Who was charged to be the head of the household? The what? The man was to be the head of the household, leading his family as a servant role, even more specifically, loving his wife as what? As Christ loved what? The church. That's not a chauvinistic role. That's a serving role. And so why, if the man was charged to be the head of the household, why would all of a sudden that change in the church? It doesn't. It doesn't mean that women don't have predominant roles within the church, that their gifts can't be used. All of those things go without saying. It means in the elder pastor role, it is a man. A godly man, a man who's above reproach, and the husband of but one wife. Are you with me, church? Now, again, some people argue, well, this is cultural. Uh, My problem with the cultural argument is that if you throw one dart of culture at a passage like this, then you got to throw about 300 darts. you got to start picking and choosing where you want to throw the cultural dart or when you want to just sit back and say, no, it means this. When he says husband of but one wife, it means husband of but one wife. Together? All right. The husband of but one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I love that one. Able to sit back and be taught by others and encouraged by others. Now, I want to pause here in this passage and say this. Some of you, even right now, you may be like, okay, biblical eldership, like this is great. It's a good learning tool. One of the most applicable passages to your life is this teaching for two reasons. Who are you following and how are you praying? I'm going to answer those two questions at the end of, end of tonight. But this is so critical for you to understand and grasp, no matter where you go to church, or if it's at Matthias or some other church community. Who are you following? How are you praying? All right, we'll get back to that. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He... He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I need to tell you something. How many of you guys have ever heard of PK? PK, right? Preacher kids, right? Now, there is this uh, stigma that goes along with PKs, right? What is it? 
Yeah, rebellious, right? It's because dad was shepherding the flock, but he wasn't shepherding his house. I appreciate the fact from you that Matt, Jeff, and I, that, that there's an understanding that our, our family's very important. And so I appreciate the fact that you understand that the three of us know that we have to lead our family first. And I want to tell you this. Different from much of my experience, if my children are not submissive to me, at some point I will resign. And that's very difficult to say because when you say it, then the rubber has to meet the road at some point. If my kids end up children who are rebellious, not listening to my teaching, I will resign. It's the biblical call. You're either a biblical pastor or not. Are we together? There's no in-between. And so I would ask for Matt, Jeff, and I, all three of us, that you would hold us to that standard. As our kids get older and able to be taught and learn, if you see that in us or any of these things that you struggle with us, would you come to us? Why? Because we're, we're, we need to be able to be taught, encouraged, right? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. In other words, you don't get baptized and walk out an elder, okay? It's like, welcome to, you know, and now you're a pastor, right? Like, there's a little bit more involved in that, right? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. No one wins with that. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well uh, thought of by outsiders. What does this mean? Outsiders, anyone? Non-believers. How do non-believers perceive the pastor? Is he the guy that's just throwing the Bible in, in their face? Is he the guy that's ju- just riddled with judgment? Or is he the guy that outs- outsiders would say, that guy just plain and simply loves? Are you beginning to understand how much prayer we need? Are you beginning to see that many of the men that people are following, and I pray not us, that many of the men that people are following are not biblically a pastor at all? I say that again with great humility, knowing that there is much in me that needs refinement. Can I share something with you? When I was 25, accepted this role as being a pastor here at Matthias. I was a youth pastor before that, and a crazy one at that, okay? Um, Some of you, just to share one story, I I wouldn't do games unless there was potential of people getting hurt, okay? And uh, one of the games that we did is we, I I decided that I wanted to build the, the world's longest jump rope. And so it was literally, it was about the length of this of this thing. Well, I'm not a physics major, nor um, a physicist, but the, uh, I didn't, I didn't get the premise that like, okay, and we, we use duct tape, of course, because you use duct tape for everything. Another game, we duct tape kids to the wall, whole nother thing. Um, and so we just wrapped this big, long string with duct tape. Well, because of, of its length, like it wouldn't go, right? And so I was like, you know, I'm trying to be quick on my feet. I'm like, we need two liter bottles of soda. And so, we took two liter bottles of soda in the middle and tied them up to the thing to give it some weight, right? And uh, 
And so, and I, I, I never start out small, so I'm like, all right, we need 10 kids here in the middle, like just 10, throw them in there. Like we hadn't even done it yet, you know? So we put these 10 kids out there in the middle and this, this big, long, huge jump rope and everyone's excited because I feel like we're setting a record here, right? And uh, this thing, all these kids are like, they're really scared, right? And they're like going in this thing and they're diving in. And so the thing goes around and it's looking pretty legit at this point, right? It's kind of like moving actually, everyone's excited. Well, this one kid, his name was Alex Shaper, never will forget it. He jumps in and the thing, the th- he hadn't gauged the two liter bottle appropriately and it hit him, listen, and broke his leg. The kid goes down and just his leg broken on the world's longest jump rope. I'm like, I, I didn't see it. I'm on the mic like cheering because we're getting it going. And this kid is on the ground like just bawling, you know. So, as you can imagine, listen. As you can imagine, the transition from youth pastor to pastor for me took a while. Right? <laughs> and, and I want to share this in, in vulnerability with you. Um, at first, being a pastor was... Um, like, it was about, like, guiding... It was, it was about guiding a group of people towards Christ. But the weight of shepherding, the weight of really pastoring people, it was really more about like getting a group of people rallied around the cause. And there was a lot of early sin in my heart. Though I cared about people, it felt like at times like I was just trying to rally people around a cause and not around Christ, you see? Like I was trying to rally people around Matthias's lot church and not ultimately just, just Christ. And as God started to, to break me and grow me and grow our eldership, I started to carry this tremendous weight for people. And I, sh- I share this as encouragement from where I was and, and still at times struggle with. This summer, for instance, I was asked to preach three camps here in a couple weeks, I was asked to do this, preach this big conference. And when I was 25 and 26, I said yes to it all. But now, listen, all I want to do is be here with you. And I mean that. At times, I'll, I'll preach and do other things. But I would rather pour into the people here, develop the vision here, spend more time studying. You see, as a young kid, it was, it was almost more about Mark Sikma than it even was being a pastor. And I still at times struggle with that. But as God keeps growing me, I look out and I think, oh, the task of shepherding this group of people with two other godly men. Matt and Jeff and I share the eldership here at Matthias. And different maybe from some of your experience, we're very big here at Matthias on plurality of leaders. It's a biblical concept. Uh, what do you see there in verse 1? So I exhort the what? What's the word? Elders. I'm not, I'm not, that's an S on the end, okay? And every time in Scripture that you see the word elder, it is riddled with S. It's plural. Though you consistently see me up here preaching, 
It's because this is, this is my giftedness. Matt and Jeff share as being pastors of this church. The three of us pastor this church. It's not a senior pastor model. This whole thing isn't me sitting in my office begging out demands. It's the three of us pleading on our knees for God to allow us to shepherd this church more and more every day. Are you with me, church? It's not a senior pastor model. And so the brilliant thing is about that is when it comes to tough decisions, guess what? There's three of us there. And you guys know Matt, an amazing stud. You guys know Jeff, an amazing man of God. When the three of us sit, we're all very different. Trust me. Okay? They're constantly just like, that's crazy, right? Like, settle down, right? And they're great because they're both, they're both very reasonable, okay? And so we often meet in the middle. You know, I kind of shoot for the... You know, and so we just work well together. But here at Matthias, that's the structure. I want you to understand before we move on that when the question comes of who you're following and who you've followed in your life, it's ultimately not a man, of course, but it's the whole premise of discipleship. Follow me as together we follow Jesus. There are layers of discipleship, and this is one. Pastors to a bigger group of people, you see? So let's get back here in First Peter, and we'll keep going. We're running a little bit behind, so we're going to move quickly here. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You see what he says here? I relate to you. I as well am an elder. And what does he do? Look at this. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Can I read a brilliant passage for you real quick? L- listen to this in Acts. This is Acts chapter 10. Peter's talking. Listen. He says, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. Now, he does something else, though. As what? Witnesses of the sufferings of Christ. Where was Peter at the sufferings of Christ? Anyone? Denying the name of Jesus. What does he do here? He is vulnerable. He points people to his failing. And ultimately, in my opinion, points people to one of the greatest traits that an elder can possess. When you look at a pastor, you have to ask yourself, do they need God's grace or not? Are you with me? Some men try to portray themselves as everything's perfect. It's all together. You just see the smiley face. You never hear about their failings or struggles. And it comes off as, I don't need God's grace. Right? Like I've got, my ship is in order. We're headed in the right direction. You need to follow a pastor who is consistently saying, and pastors who are consistently revealing invulnerability like Peter does here. I was a witness to the suffering. I denied the name of Jesus to a 10-year-old servant girl. That's what comes up here. You need to follow men, pastors, who are willing to say, I desperately need the grace of God. I desperately need it. I'm not perfect. I will fail you. I'm a man. I'm a flawed man in need of Jesus. If you're not hearing that from those elders in your charge, 
then you are following men that are painting a picture that diminishes the cross. You need to follow men, pastors, elders, who are making much of King Jesus, making much of the cross, saying the cross is all we have together. Are you with me, church? So he says, as witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. In other words, together we'll celebrate in the glory. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd them. Guide them. Next week I'm going to spend more time going into shepherd as we look at the chief shepherd. Shepherd them. The flock that is among you, exercising, what's the word? Oversight. Now, briefly. What does oversight mean? How do Matt, Jeff, and I oversee this body? Can I share some things with you? First, lovingly caring for the body while seeking your growth in Christ. If you don't feel like you are loved and cared for, then what are we doing? We're running a business. It's under the premise of Christianity, but it's all business-like. Come in, go out. Everyone good? We're good. Give some money, here we go, right? It's business. If you don't feel loved and cared for deeply by the men in your, over, in your oversight, then you're, you're just following a CEO, right? One of the things in exercising, in exercising oversight is doing that next. Providing teaching and counsel from the Word of God. There's a reason why we teach verse by verse. There's a reason why we do the things we do in La Family. There's a reason why we don't um, read Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul up here. There's a reason why we open our Bibles and teach. We don't want to teach you Oprah and cultural uh, nuances. We want to teach you the Scripture. In exercising oversight, that's what we do. Next, helping in times of need. There have been several times where, especially covenant members here in this body, have come upon hard times. The elders at that point step in, make decisions on how we can best help them and guide them. Next, praying for you regularly. Um, to be an elder here at Matthias means that you have to like getting up early. Every other Friday, the elders meet um, six, sometimes earlier. And the first thing that we always do at our meeting is just plead and pray over the body outside of all the other times that we're pleading for you. Next, being on guard against false teachers. This is huge. You need oversight and pastors who are protecting the body from a potential wolf that may come in seeking and looking for people to devour by making a mockery of the gospel, misguiding people, taking, gathering people uh, over a doctrinal issue. One of our roles in exercising oversight as pe- pastors and elders is being on guard against false teachers. And not just within our body, but also protecting you from outside. Next, equipping the body of Christ to serve. One of our biggest roles in, in, in exercising oversight is allowing you to use your gifts. This is why we started things like we love St. Charles, so that anyone can use their gifts. This is why we doubled our leadership and lot family leadership, so that more people can use their leadership gifts. It's exercising, equipping the body to be able to serve. Uh, You may not know this, but lot families do all of the cleaning here. Well, that's not a gift, really. Serving, loving, working downstairs with the Matthias minis. There's so many ways you can serve, be a part of this body. Lastly, exercising church discipline when necessary. In other words, we take a haughty, Um, rather a hefty um, agenda against gossip. If you're a gossiper, uh, and I've done this before, I've showed up on the doorstep of those who have gossiped, and we have 
exercise church discipline. And where it begins is going to the person dealing with it. Matthew 18 describes a, a further plan on how to work through that. But we will exercise church discipline in love and grace, of course. I use gossip just as one example. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And I'm going to work through these next things briefly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. What is compulsion? Compulsion, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be extremely vulnerable in all three of these things. Compulsion is seeing ministry as a job. Just like all of you would go out and find a job, potentially people in ministry just do ministry to get paid. Okay, that this, this looks fun. I get to be with people and hang with people. So I'm, all right, sounds good. That's compulsion. You see it as a job. Not, you're not, it's not willing. It's not a piece of your heart. Listen, this is huge for young people who are gifted. The first time I spoke when I was 12 years old in front of our church, I can't count the number of blue-haired women that came up to me afterwards and were like, you need to be a pastor, you know? I was like, D- you. And so you instantly start, you know, and, and it's good because you're wrestling with your call. But some people, listen, get in the ministry because of expectation. The temptation, and I still struggle with this, the temptation in ministry is for you just to become a ministry leader and the gospel not really take root consistently in you. You see? I just get addicted to ministry. Matt just gets addicted to ministry instead of completely compelled by Christ. That's the temptation with compulsion. So elders are to do it with, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is the rock star mentality, and this is the temptation. There are rock star pastors in America, okay? People in our culture at times wear Mark Driscoll uh, undershirts, you know? It's like Mark, Mark Driscoll is the best preacher there ever is. He's the leader of Acts 29, great pastor. But at the moment, a pastor becomes a rock star. At the moment, it, it's elevated to him and who he is. Then the ministry is centered around his giftedness and his charisma. Again, in all vulnerability, there are moments when I still struggle with this. I have to continually quelch the desire for this thing to be wrapped around my giftedness and and my charisma. That has to be kicked out. I pray continually that God will cut me at my knees, continue to remind me of my need of grace, so that never at any point does this entire thing become about Matt, Jeff, and I. Never, you see? That's shameful gain. You get into ministry because it's an avenue to use your gifts so that people look at you and they say, oh, Matt McNeil, you're such a brilliant elder. Instead of on your knees like Jesus was washing the feet of his flock. The role of an elder is a lead, listen, a lead servant. And if you don't see that modeled in Jeff, Matt, and I, and if you don't see that modeled in other pastors that you're following, then you're following men that really struggle with the last one. Not domineering over those, in, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The temptation and dominance is that you get addicted to barking out orders because of the authority that you've been given because the word pastor is attached to you. 
close with this. I, I've shared this story before, but in my last um, church experience, there was a man who was an elder. And came in my office and uh, got in my face like this. He pointed his finger in my face and he said, sit down, boy. Once you're like, I don't know, 18, you don't like being called a boy anymore, you know? And he called me a boy and he told me to sit down and he just, he proceeded for the next 10 or 15 minutes literally just to dehumanize me. It was, the, it was literally the worst moment in ministry that I've ever had. And his whole thing was authority and dominance instead of serving and loving and caring. His accusations were unfounded. And ultimately, in a moment of discipleship that Christmas, I took a guy I was discipling, and we went and put Christmas lights up on his house because I wanted my disciple to see. And he was there in the room. He heard everything that Forgiveness is possible even to a man like that. All of this, and we're going to keep eldership going next week as well in a different way, focusing more even on Christ as the chief shepherd. I hope this. I hope you see the desperate need to pray if you're in Matthias for Matt, Jeff, and I. This is no easy task, and temptation is crouching at the door for this to become about us, for this just to be a rallying of ministry, for this not to be about the gospel. I hope that you get the weight of praying for your pastors. And those are the last two questions I have for you. Who are you following? Are you following men that exemplify 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Have you put yourself under the leadership and authority like Hebrews 13, 17 talks about of men that are guiding you to the cross of Christ and nowhere else? Have you put yourself in that care? Men who proclaim the word of God in your past, have you put yourself in that care taking note the doctrine that was being taught, the theology that was being breathed? And then if you were and if you did and if you are now, what is your response, church? is your response to sit up there and wait for the men who are leading the church to do ministry? Or is it to be continually own the gospel as Christ has called you God's son, joining in ministry with the elders, using your gifts, being equipped, and ultimately pleading for the leaders who will be held accountable? Who are you following and how are you praying? All I'm doing is I'm begging for your prayers. I'm begging for them. The call is great on the three of our lives. And I would ask you to pray for the three of us. Could you? Would you? Consistently. Pray that we would not fall into temptation or folly, sexual sin. Pray that we would keep serving on our knees humbly. Pray that we would remain true to the word of God. Could you do that? Could you pray for us? As Brandon and the crew comes up, Next week, Matt and Jeff and I are going to have a time when we just pray over you all. Could I ask you, and, and maybe this isn't your church, and maybe it's your own pastors, wherever it is that you're serving under, could I ask you, wherever you're sitting right now, 
as we're preparing to worship, could you just take a minute and just even now, would you just pray for the three of us? Could you plead for us? Could you pray that the weight of this role just sits on our shoulders and that Christ keeps getting the glory here at Matthias? We will fail you, but he is faithful. So would you take a second and just, just plead for us? Appreciate it.